Breakfast puppies? This podcast contains adult language and content and is meant for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. We're all set to begin, so let's dive right in to bikers, dice, and bars. Talking bicycles and motorbikes, gamer things and all the like. You can listen to it in your cars, but mostly it's about dive bars. Bikers, dice, and bars. Hey Xander, I've had a real stressful day. What are we drinking? Oh, okay. Uh, we are drinking. Oh, did you want one too? I don't have one. What the hell? <laughs> you know, most of the we were drinking, and I didn't think you meant the royal we because you're not a crazy person. So I didn't- I'm not. What are we drinking we, we, today? We, we, we aren't. Alexander. We aren't. Uh, we are drinking Sierra Nevada's collaboration with the famed German brewer Bitburger for their Oktoberfest beer. It's the ultimate season of revelry, so we teamed up with the grain of Germany's famed Bitburger Brewery for Oktoberfest. That turns a backyard into beer gardens. Rally your friends and celebrate with a Festbier. Feistbier? Feistbier. Feistbier. Whose rich amber color, secret hot blend, and smooth malty flavor brings the Munich tense to you. Yeah. Coming yeah. in at a 6.0. Those Holy were things that were crap. said. Yeah, it tastes real good and doesn't <laughs> taste like a 6.0. It really it's doesn't. Also, I'm glad you said that. <laughs> it's also very pretty. It's a very pretty bottle. I like it. And the beer doesn't suck either. I wish I, I wish I had something glass to put this in so I could see what color the beer actually is. It's beer colored. Well, I mean. Uh, <laughs> As we learned yesterday, uh, colored glass is way better than clear glass. Mm-hmm. Because when you drop and break clear glass, it's a lot harder to find the pieces than if the glass is colored. This is true, such as the green glass I broke in the bathtub (laughs) yesterday. Uh, Ah, bath beer. Very good. Um, Uh, It didn't end well, unfortunately. It doesn't sound like it did. Also, too, darker glass will keep out sunlight, which ruins beer. So clear bottles of beer in the sunlight are bad. Speaking of ruining beer, you're listening to Bikers, Dice, and Bars, (laughs) recorded here in Portland, Oregon. As usual, I'm NPC. I'm just Jacob. The Dr. Xander Cherrymander. Poppy Beaujolais. Now, Poppy, I understand in addition to a stressful week, there have been some ups to the week. Oh, yeah? yes. Yeah, Actually, it was really only today that was stressful. The rest of this week has been pretty damn amazing because I am now in the possession of a scooter. Yay! Yay! No, I'm not talking about a fucking razor scooter. Oh, so, so it's like one of those limes or birds no. or one of those. She finally got on a lime. She's turning on a dime. I mean, not really. I drag my feet a lot. It's embarrassing. Anyway, <laughs> I got myself a 2008 Il Bello scooter that is from the fly scooter company she has a 150 cc engine and she is real pretty mm-hmm. and her name is billy jean <laughs> is the scooter not your lover 
She's yeah. not a lover. We oh. actually had pictures posted of it in our Discord channel, if you want to take a look. In fact, I believe uh, anybody who's been following saw the original ad where we went and picked it up. And yeah. Xander, thank you very much oh, yeah. for your assistance with that. Yeah, thanks, Xander. <laughs> yeah, I had the privilege of driving it all the way back from Lake Oswego into Portland. Uh, she's a fun ride, I can tell you that. Got her yeah. up to about 40, 45 miles an hour. She rides smooth. She rides pretty nice. I did uh, some practice. We got her on Friday night. I did a bunch of practicing on Saturday and Sunday. I can't really remember what I did on Monday. I think I did some practicing on Monday as well. But then Tuesday and Wednesday, I drove her to work for the first time. Pretty awesome. How far is work? Um, three miles, three to four miles, depending on which one I'm, which I'm, which one I'm going to. Solid. Yeah, it was, it was, How was, it? was nice. It was great. Oh my God. <laughs> it, was it, like, it was great. It was fucking great. I didn't want to stop. I just wanted to keep going. And I had to go fill her up with gas too. And it was really embarrassing because I was struggling with the center stand and the dude had to help me. But you filled your own gas, right? No, I made him do it. No, you, no, you need no, to learn no, to do no, it no, yourself. No, no, no. Because I will. you don't want to trust the gas station attendants pour in this their yeah. guzzle hole yeah. all yeah. over your machine. He, he looked like yeah. he knew what he was doing. Guzzoline, that was what I was he, he looked like he, he knew what he looked like he was doing. Um I was in a hurry to get And to you work. got lucky. Yeah. I would usually when I pull up I just give them the look and they walk away. Yep. From the next time, the <laughs> they next give time you the I'm, nod. Yeah, the next time good. I'm going to do it myself. But this particular time, I was like, you know what? I'm just not going to mess with it because I'm about to go get on 102nd during morning rush hour traffic. And no. Oh, I'm, you know, now I'm picturing you just pulling up to a gas station in a full Victorian outfit <laughs> and, and stepping off the bikes and pulling off your, your leather engraved <laughs> riding gloves and saying, man, man, would you please fill the tank? <laughs> My steed needs petrol. <laughs> yeah. So she, she is fantastic. I don't think I don't think I'd been on a two wheeled motorized vehicle in about three years after the um, the sad, unfortunate failed motorcycle experiment. Well, it wasn't a failed experiment. It was a good and worthy experiment. It was a learning experience. It was a learning experience. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I'm already a hundred times more confident on this scooter than I ever was on a motorcycle. Good. I have a lot better skills now for managing my my anxiety and my fears while I'm while I'm on the bike, and it's just been uh, this week is that has been a a joy. Following up on these topics of anxiety and biking and management, we've got some interesting thematic topics for you today. So let's go ahead and jump right into them and take this to the road. So writing is therapy. Oh my God. Do I have a lot to say about this? Motorcycles, bicycles, anything with two wheels, like scooters, scooters, mm. you know, there, you know, we've talked before about how there's a freedom that comes with living on a two wheeled vehicle and there's a different level of experience compared to driving in a car. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, Andy, the guy who started the company Aerostitch, 
will go you can actually look on youtube look up aerostitch look up andy and he has a couple talks he's been had recorded about everything that goes into riding a bicycle or motorcycle or scooter all the different senses how your sense of touch suddenly is called upon your sense of balance is called upon all of these activities demand more from you which is why it's sometimes very hard for people to be riders. But once you've gotten over that learning hurdle and you're a, a skilled rider, maybe not master, maybe not even intermediate, but you know what you're doing. Getting out on the road and feeling the wind and all of that helps get you away. So I lived with uh, the Mad Marquis for about two months earlier this year after going through a pretty stressful and traumatic breakup. And then during that period, I got the Black Dahlia. Mm. And I will tell you, you know, there were a couple nights where I was just having a real, real rough time. And I just went, you know what? I'm just going to get on this bike, you know? So I got on the Black Dahlia. I just cruised at the, like, like midnight, 1 a.m., just around Mount Tabor, going through these twists and turns, you know? And because I was so new at it, but I also needed to get some experience riding it, and I thought, during a time of the day when no one would really be on the road was a good time. And having to have my mind so set on, okay, here's a curve, got to lean into this. All right, straighten this back up. Okay, here's now a speed bump that has the weird little things that I think you're supposed to go through so you don't slow down if you're a scooter. Okay, missed that one a little bit. <laughs> now a little top strip. All right, straighten this guy back up again. Mm -hmm. and And doing that for like... 45 minutes or an hour in the middle of the night and then just kind of going, all right, I feel better now. Right. I feel better because I got to go and focus on something other than where my life was. And what that was, was just being on the road and making sure that every bit of my mental, you know, acumen was basically just keeping this thing upright and honing my skills and just feeling better about having, again, the wind, the air, the smell, that all, the temperature mm -hmm. drops. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, all these things you don't get if you're in a car. Yeah, that you when, you, when you drive by a large body of water and the temperature drops, you don't get that in a car. Mm -hmm. Or when you're driving in a big old honking semi-truck rushes past you and all of a sudden you're like, okay, here's the wind blast. Let's straighten mm -hmm. this bad boy up. Yeah, like, you, that feeling where you actually see it coming and you're mm -hmm. like, oh, crap. You, you kind of duck forward to put your head into it. Oh, God, I love that feeling. Or you run past, it, like when I'm doing my runs through the back end of Gresham and around Damascus, <laughs> and suddenly it's field of fresh mown hay followed oh. by the deep wet woods. These are smells. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. cow manure, you know, which for me is a much more pleasant smell than most people. Uh, and all of these are things you're locked off from when you're riding in a cage. And even just a couple of nights ago, I was trying to get home before I knew a rainstorm was coming. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so I thought, well, I could drive on surface streets and that might be fine, but I know it's going to hit me or I can take my chances on 84. So I did at, you know, 11 o'clock at night. And right as I was getting real close to the exit I was supposed to get off of, I could just see the wall of water. <laughs> you know, there's no exit. There's just the wall of water coming at me. I'm like, all right, here it comes. And then again, ju just the feeling of it hitting you, going, you know, 60 miles an hour. Mm -hmm. It's just, it, it was, I wasn't even mad at that point. It was just kind of this, I feel alive in, in this moment until the, uh, about a mile after that, when a car that went past me hit a giant 
bucket of water that they said that <laughs> wall of water on me. But but again, I could see it, you know. Mm-hmm. You're like, this that, is going to happen. And that slow motion. And, you know, I got to where I was going and I was soaked, but I didn't care. Right. You know, I just had that kind of grateful feeling of being alive, which has been hard for me lately, you know. So to have like just those moments of that's nice, though. This mm-hmm. is nice. It feels like I am alive. Soaking wet, mm-hmm. <laughs> but alive. You know, it's interesting when we look back at the history of motorcycles and bicycles and scooters collectively from the Victorian Velocimania period <laughs> that led into Good the, callback. the uh, interwar period. Good callback. You, you had this evolution of it being a rich man's toy, and I do mean man's toy, to a activity that was taken up by more common folk, and to be honest, people of all genders. And that has continued. To open another one. And motorcycles, bicycles, and scooters all have that tie-in to getting away and finding that place. You know, we look in American culture at the 1940s through 1950s, where the roots of the modern um, club, whether it be motorcycle club, riding club culture is, it was people getting away, finding a way to deal things, finding camaraderie and finding their space to be themselves. I know, speaking from personal experience, I have always experienced seasonal affective disorder. Okay, Always might not be the best word, but I know that at least since moving here to Portland, Oregon, in the Pacific Northwest, I have experienced sad every winter. As that sun goes away and the rain comes in, I find that the rain is very pleasant. I love the rain, but it's not its not southeast rain. It's mm-hmm. that annoying Pacific Northwest drizzle. It's not mobile rain. But we enter this stage of uh, the rotating freeze where you just have basically black ice from the end of September through the beginning of February. And I don't ride my bike during that time. And I find that during that time, uh, the seasonal affective disorder hits me even harder because I'm not riding. Once March comes around and I finally get back on the road regularly, it's like, wow, I feel so much happier. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. And even too, like I, I had this, had a couple weird financial setbacks recently, and then thanks to a friend who decided to go and pitch in to make this kind of dream trip I had come true since I got the Black Dahlia, you know, the two of us just went and took off to Astoria. And it's kind of an unusual experience to to drive for two and a half, three hours and not be able to talk to the person that you're with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, but, you know, we, we pulled off the side of the road at some point and got oyster shooters because, hey. Because mm-hmm. why not? Because happy Cause hour. <laughs> yeah. You know, and then, but again, just being able to, by the time you finally got to your destination or, or got to that first stop you were going to make, and you just have that, you know, that hour of conversation of like, man, did you see that? Did you see that? I miss, oh, I missed that. Where was that? Mm-hmm. We're going to go see that on the way back. And just really forming a different type of conversation when you finally get off the ride. Um and just, I don't know, there's just something so blissful about taking that long ride and knowing that I could also do it on my 170, 170 with a passenger taking Highway 30 the whole way. Nice. Yeah, I know we don't we don't talk about our cages very often, but I uh, I used to have a very specific de-stress drive when I lived on the Front Range uh, in Colorado. And I moved to Portland 
about 10 years ago and almost 11 years ago, actually. And I haven't I have never found my de-stress drive here yet. Back in back in Colorado, it was like, okay, I'm going to head up Highway 14. I'm going to go, you know, past uh, Ted's place. I'm going to go up the canyon. I'm going to come back around to Stove Prairie. I'm going to come, you know. Uh, go up to Mishawaka Amphitheater, all this stuff. And like, I knew exactly where to go, where to turn. And I knew that this drive would work to kind of get me out of my head. Cause it was, again, it was up in the Canyon, a lot of twists and turns. And in my old Pontiac, that was a lot of fun. How long was the drive? <sighs> round trip? Round trip. I can't remember. I want to say round trip. It took me about two hours. Yeah. And then there's like the, you know, we've talked a little bit about solo rides and the small trip with like maybe a buddy or two. Then there's the group ride. And I I don't know how much group riding y'all have done, but one, one, okay, none, none. A, a good number of them, a good number. Yeah. So it doesn't matter whether I'm riding with one of the clubs or associations that I am an affiliate of, or whether it's just the rockers Northwest get together, let's go to the river and screw around. You know, there's something about everybody getting on their ride, turning the key at the same time, the sound of all of those engines kicking in and heading out in a double column where my personal bullshit doesn't matter. Mm. I am here to have fun with all of these folks and my their well-being is partially in my hands and my well-being is in theirs. It it helps me get out of my own self-centeredness because mm-hmm. you know, when you're riding in a double stack, especially with some of the crews I do where we ride really really tight formations, you know, we are dependent on each other and it helps center me. One of the, I mean, I've been writing for a whole like three days at this point, so I'm by no means an expert, but I have definitely noticed that the level of mindfulness required to operate a two-wheeled vehicle is actually pretty intense. You oh, have yeah. to be aware of so much that's going on with the with yourself and with the bike and with the road and with the conditions and everything that's going on. It's um pretty and I've I've been really surprised with myself how how easy it has been for me to get to switch my brain because that's not something I'm generally very skilled at. And there's something about getting on that scooter and suddenly I'm looking at the I'm looking at the road, I'm looking at, you know, what's ahead of me, I'm checking in with my body to see if I'm tense anywhere. Mm-hmm. And that's challenging for me on a day-to-day basis. So it's it's been really nice to notice to notice that. And on, and on that note too, there have been a couple of times, even when I'm, you know, I'm trying to get back from work and I get, you know, 30, 40 blocks into my long drive and just go, I'm too upset right now. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't be on this thing. Mm-hmm. And I have had to pull over and just like, okay, I'm just going to get some chips and salsa somewhere. I don't know. Something where I can just kind of get back to the place where I feel like I am safe, safe to drive this thing. Because again, I think we can get also get in that mindset and we should be mindful mm-hmm. of when that mindset happens. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the things we were talking about bringing up this, this topic this evening. One of the things I wanted to be sure to, to, to hit on was when knowing yourself, knowing your body, knowing your brain well enough to know when you shouldn't ride, when that level when you're not capable of that level of mindfulness and when yes writing is a great distraction technique to 
to to get us out of our everyday life and to focus on something else. But if your focus and attention is so impaired that operating a vehicle then becomes dangerous, obvious, then it doesn't, it's no longer therapy. It is a tool of destruction. So beyond growing up around motorcycles, I had a whole bunch of books that were really instrumental to my encounter, to my becoming a motorcyclist. Uh, Some of them were many of the books of Hunter S. Thompson. (laughs) And in a couple of those, he goes into great detail about uh, motorcycling when someone probably shouldn't motorcycle, uh, drunk, high, uh, chronically depressed. And as someone who will self-admittedly say, I've thrown my leg over a bike and gone off intentionally to race the black dog. Um, it was, you know, it's the call is there, but knowing when not to do it is really, really important. You don't um, always have to answer. Yep. Nope. Wasn't there a Nicolas Cage movie called Drive Angry? Oh, there sure was, buddy. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's, as funny as that may be, I try not to ride angry. Because mm-hmm. you're not Nicolas Cage. You're not <laughs> supernatural. He can do it, folks. You can't. You can't. Yeah. If your eyes are so full of tears that you can't see, and you're, you're probably going too fast. Don't, oh. <laughs> <laughs> don't drive anything. Get a visor? I don't know. <laughs> no, he, but also in that movie, too, he was also perpetually shit faced. And another thing you shouldn't be yeah. doing if you're driving in an emotionally distressed state. There have been many times when I've gotten back from a stressful day of work or. Something shitty has just happened, and I just think, I don't want to be in this world anymore. So then I turn on my PC. And we go to a different world. And we go to a different world. Mm. What's your favorite world to escape to? Oh, one darker than ours. (laughs) Escapism. The world of Fallout, usually. Yeah, usually. Usually it's Fallout. There's just something very therapeutic about running around through the wasteland in a blue jumpsuit Wielding a, a gun made out of like a lawnmower and a trash can, shooting guard gnomes at mutants' heads and making them explode while listening to the music of Bing Crosby and the Ink Spots. Well, and also to me too, in addition to all of that, um, for me, exploring the world of Fallout has been less about shooting lawn gnomes at super mutants. And again, don't get me wrong, it's amusing. It's amusing. Uh, but for me, it's been much more about just kind of realizing, you know what? Things aren't so bad right now. I'm in a post-apocalyptic hellscape that has been brought on by many terrible, terrible entities. And yet, we're doing okay right now. And so it's it's a mixture of that and a mixture of just really admiring the artwork and the beauty and the creativity that that game studio put into almost every single aspect of the world that they have created and being able to just kind of admire that for a while while also being able to lead a life that's not mine just for a bit or no, eight hours. Nothing wrong with a little healthy perspective sometimes. Nope. For me, one of the things that I find very stress relieving is going into the world of Saints Row <laughs> and running around <laughs> beating people up with a big purple dildo bat. There's something that just gets rid of all of my tension and all of my rage. And I feel generally happier after doing that. Like it, I can just go home, turn it on, beat up some, beat up some luchadors with a dildo bat and then sign out. And I'm like, I'm good. I, I got it out. 
I feel like this is going to lead to a huge uh, uptick in luchador beatings with giant dildos because I heard video games cause violence. We just and, lost luchador. Sorry. And, and and I just think that maybe this might not be the most helpful thing to do is encouraging dildo related violence on luchadors. I don't know. I would. I, I, I might subscribe to that channel. <laughs> <laughs> but I think Lucha Dongs is that what you call it? Lucha Dongs, you heard it here. First. Oh no! Now I'm seeing us sponsoring our own series of <laughs> Day of the Dead themed dildos. Oh my! The other Biker's game, Dyson Dongs. The other game that I find, the other game that I find is quite stress relieving for me is uh, Warframe. I've I keep coming back to it because there's just something that I, I'm like, I get to temporarily be a space ninja battle robot for a little while. And it's an experience that is transcendent for me. It, No matter what mood I'm in, I can sit and uh, run around and kill Grenier while I am a space ninja battle robot flying around listening to some space mom tell me what to do. And it's quite wonderful. I'll hail space mom. I'll hail the space mom. I've also kind of enjoyed to uh, the oh, what's the game series called? Um, Might Magic. Oh, uh, uh, City Skylines. Oh yeah, okay. Which you know really decided to go and take what Sim Four fucked up or Sim City Four fucked up really badly and said, "Oh, you know those things you actually wanted in a game? Here you go." Mm-hmm. Oh, you, you don't want to continuously play online and have your resources uh, deplete for no apparent reason really quickly, and you don't want to be limited by an incredibly small area to build in? Here you go. City Skylines is here to help. Mm. But there's also something kind of very cathartic, and especially when your life might be falling apart or things just aren't working for you, and you get to go and be in charge of a city and make it grow real nice, and all of a sudden you're going and like really building things. And even if it's not real, at least you have those couple hours in your life where... You start off with nothing, and now you've gone and built up the city and made these areas nice and, you know, built these parks for these people and decided that, you know, fuck gentrification. It's egalitarian because it's my city. For me, I think all of that started when I was a kid and I had bullies. I was not a very popular child. I was very introverted and I was picked on a lot at school. And when I came home, I had the video games that I could just sort of throw myself into and feel pretty awesome because I was good at something and it, it made me feel better. So my question for you guys, as someone who doesn't, as someone who's not a big video game player, they just don't really hold my attention for, for very long, for whatever reason. Um, what is different about, cause I've got my own kind of escapism things that I do that aren't gaming related, but what is like the what is the difference between, say, watching a movie or reading a book and playing a video game? How is it different than other types of immersive sort of escapism? Because I am the captain now. Uh, no, it's... <laughs> Go on. <laughs> so, it's, I mean, I've always said that the best bang for your buck you can possibly get in entertainment value is a video game. You know, if you go see a movie in the theater, you're spending like 12 bucks, not including anything else you want to eat or drink. You know, you go to a concert like, you know, 30, 40 bucks and like it might be an hour and a half, maybe two hours. 
buy yourself a video game for 60 bucks. Some of those things you can get 120 hours of entertainment out of. Oh, and, my friend. Let me talk about games that I've spent upwards of a thousand hours. Oh, no, no. I'm, 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 I'm saying for people who are not neurotic like you, NBC. I'm not but, actually neurotic, but sometimes a game just eats my soul and no, I, I simply no, I, want to play it all day and all night. No, I, 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 I understand that. I am still in successful recovery from Daggerfall. Thank you very much. <laughs> but, but I think what What's it really... clean date? <laughs> I don't share that information. Uh, okay, that's fair. <laughs> but I think what it really comes down to is that you can put yourself into a world. Like, and there are beautiful movie worlds out there. You're not in charge. You can watch these characters make really stupid decisions and go and be that person at the theater who yells, no, but in a video game, that's not you. You can go and make the decisions for yourself. You are taking the main character into your hands. You are making them do the decisions that you want them to go and make, and you are making them plot the chores that you would want them to plot. And you don't have to be frustrated by any other dumb character and bad writing's decision to make them do something stupid because you get to have that all for yourself. And I think, especially if your life is not in a good place, being able to take charge and command with a very cinematic sense is very therapeutic. Whereas, I mean, for me, uh, you know, I am I, I, coming out of a long period of techno Ludditism mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. not actually having a computer that can, or, or even a game console, and the computer I have can't run Jack. Uh, the two games I go to at the moment are Jagged Alliance, where I am running a team of mercenaries to overthrow a dictatorship, and I always play at the height of setting. And masochist. Oh, I am a masochist <laughs> because there's something about watching one of my team die, but still succeeding at the objective that does it. And masochism can be a form of therapy. Exactly. <laughs> the other one is Space Station 13, which is far far too close to the way my job works you are trapped in hopeless bureaucracy and the world is on fire and you are gonna go you are down gonna with that ship oh dear so what i'm so what i'm hearing is that not only is it sort of it, i mean it's fun you're playing a game there's escapism you get to go to another world but there's also this element of accomplishment that you can get and also there's that that sense of control if if the rest of your life is feeling out of control when the world is feeling out of control and insane here's something where you can you can directly make choices to influence your experience i think the other aspect too is you know again we've all had those stressful days at work where you're just working on 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 solving that one problem that you just can't make work or people are blocking you from making it work you have upper management that just won't let you do what you know needs to get done so you can actually go and you know fix the thing Word. and jacob is laughing right now because i think it is hitting way too close to home for oh, him at the moment i girl oh i there, know there, oh. Mm-hmm. there we go there's a little fist bump action going on there between poppy and jacob but i work in public health what do you want i'm so sorry <laughs> um same <laughs> there are so many times where i've just had that day and I go, and again, I, I load up that game, and I'm like, all right, there's that damn puzzle I had to figure out that I haven't figured out yet, but it's in this game. And I got to move forward or else I can't get past this part of the game. But that motivation is like, I'm going to accomplish something today. God damn it. And when you finally get that thing to work, you put that final piece in together, and you get that final piece of progression, and you're like, yeah, the game can go on. Go and give yourself a high five, and you move on with your day. 
I want to very briefly bring this back to something that you were talking about earlier, and I specifically don't want to linger on this topic, but which was the concept of violence in video games, which bears into the concept of therapy here. I think that one reason that you can't connect video game violence to real world violence is because of that. Like you, if you have that that urge to go shoot something, and you've got a video game in front of you, it's the games today are very fulfilling on that aspect. Like, like again, if I just want to like strangle something, I can grab that purple dildo bat and just beat some luchadors, and I just get it out of my system. There is no association, and I would agree very much with NPC here that whenever I felt like I just want to punch something or somebody, I just go play a game instead, and I can do it worse. Or not, yeah, like worse isn't worse violence, more fulfilling, instantly done, no real life consequences, stress relief, done. This is Poppy Beaujolais, and I want to be very clear about two things vaccines do not cause <laughs> autism, and video games do not make people violent. Oh, God, we just lost Marianne Williamson's entire caucus. Oh. It will make some people obese, but. <laughs> Let's take this to the gaming table. Now, let's talk about how you can derive that kind of therapeutic joy from a tabletop gaming experience with your friends. Oh, my God. Can I talk about Hammer Crawl and how awesome it is? Please. I, I love hearing about it. <laughs> Tell me. I'm not meaning this is to... some cross-promotional no, bullshit right here. This, what is I'm going on? Stroke your ego. Um, one of the things... I think one of the reasons I... I fucking love Hammer Crawl and I've been one of the biggest cheerleaders for Hammer Crawl since the beginning is that it is a game where you can go in and just do crazy <laughs> shit and the consequences stupid shit. stupid shit crazy shit like you can just get as wild as you want and like if it kills your companions that's fine by accident you know and or on purpose or on purpose. And there's just, there's not, there's like no consequences because you, the point of the game is not to get invested in these characters. <laughs> and so with the games I'm, I, I run Delta Green, Witcher, et cetera, et cetera. I, I have been gifted to have a tendency to be playing with groups of primarily people who come from disempowered backgrounds. And even when I, it's mixed groups or groups that are people from a lot more privilege, uh, when we are at the table, both of these games are super, super gritty and tend to be fairly dark, especially dark, Delta Green. And one of the feedback points that comes up time and time again in Delta Green is that we are able to put ourselves in situations that we hear about but in our daily lives have no way to influence yes, no, or otherwise. We don't even get the option to make a choice. And you put us in the middle of these horribly ugly situations. And while we may not like our choices, we are empowered to have a choice about things that occur in our world. I think one of the other things, too, that I really appreciate about you know, kind of tabletop gaming as therapy is sometimes you're brought into a group and you might not know the other players very well at your group. And you still have to get along. You still have to make plans with each other. You still have to go and 
form ideas with each other, negotiate with each other. And there might be some at the table that you don't even like. But sometimes just the act of doing this goes and puts you in a better mindset for your real life in negotiating with people that you don't get along with or agree with either. And especially if you're a really good role player and you like the person, but your characters hate each other and you have to go and role play that out as well. It, it, it's great. okay. Okay. The session was great. I had this conflict with this person. We hated each other. And then fucking Valerie at work. I'm going to go talk to her now. She's one of the three V's and she's a bitch. <laughs> All back. And now I know how to talk to her better because of this role playing session that I went into involving orcs and I don't know, whatever the fuck else, but I get it now. I think there's a whole other episode that is, you know, gaming as social skills building that we could do. Yeah, that's that's an incredibly interesting topic. Uh, some of the organizations I'm involved with, um, especially one out of Washington, does use gaming, both role playing and tabletop games to build social skills for folks who either deal with social anxiety, uh, autism that affects their social skills or other things. And it the body of work that's being done is absolutely amazing. It's social therapy for introverts. If you don't get it right the first time, try, try Try again. again. Yeah, I was being watched, so I fucked it up. (laughs) But you know, here's the thing, though, Poppy. You persevered. You got that bottle open. I did. You're enjoying the shit out of that beer now. I did. What are we enjoying the shit out of right now? We are enjoying the shit out of some central nervous system depressants. Hell yeah. Hell to the yeah. So let's talk about the pros and cons of substances as a emotional regulation tactic. <laughs> There's no cons to that. <laughs> There's what? There's no cons. There's nothing, no cons nothing to ever, that. Oh, nothing nothing bad. ever bad has ever happened nothing from having too much ever, when you're upset. Yeah, nothing bad has ever happened when you used a substance instead of processing your emotions, right? He says as he covers up his scars. Continue. <laughs> Same. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. So, okay. So we here at Bikers, Dice, and Bars always end our episodes with our little mantras at the end, one of which is always drink responsibly. And I think it is fair to say that any, any adult, probably all the people at this table at one point in their lives or many times in their lives have had a day or a week or a year or a decade where you're feeling stressed out, you're feeling depressed, uh, you're feeling angry and whatever else is going on in your world and you need to CTFO. And maybe when you want to CTFO, chill the fuck out. Uh, I was like, central chief technological no, financial no, officer? No, no, no. Yeah. When you want to chill the fuck out. Oh. Uh, CTFO. Rumbleman's heard. Yes. I'm oh, sorry, kids. You mean mojitos? Wait, I'm older <laughs> than you. Anyway, so maybe you reach for you reach for a joint or you reach for a beer or you reach for a little acid or whatever it is. I thought you were about to say ass. It's like maybe I mean, it could know. be like, you know, some people use risky sexual behaviors as coping mechanisms. Not that looking ass is riskiness. Or, you know, the strip club or the strip club. Right. Well, I mean, whatever. Just depends on the club. Depends if it's risky club. or not. So, They're all risque. 
Risque. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So uh-huh. what is actually go but where we talk about alcohol, right? So like what happens when we drink alcohol? Alcohol is a central nervous system depressant, which means it's fucking great for anxiety. It's yep. terrible for your liver. <laughs> the liver is evil and must be punished. Oh, poor liver. Our poor livers. So it's a central nervous system depressant. It also lowers our inhibition. So you have a little to drink. You're feeling relaxed now. You're feeling a little little smidge of euphoria. You're feeling you're feeling pretty good and maybe pretty confident. But I hope, as most people know, with extended use with uh you know what is going to be too much for some people there's going to be some problems with that so what do we mean by drinking responsibly y'all what are what are your you know we're all none of us are in recovery for any substance use issues we understand that some of our listeners are and what do we mean by drinking responsibly y'all so just a single note on that there have been times where I've just been sitting at home, kind of wallowing in my own misery. And it's either, you know, I'm trying to reach out to somebody, no one gets back to me. Everyone in these busy lights, hold no, don't hold it against anybody. And I'm like, you know what? I just need to get some white noise in my life. And one of the easiest ways for me to get some white noise in my life is just to go out to a noisy bar. Mm-hmm. You know, just belly up to the bar and just, you know, go and nurse a beer. And just have nothing but just white noise blocking out everything. It's oftentimes a really nice therapeutic method. So you're not isolated at home. You're around other people. Mm-hmm. You're not looking for anything. You're just looking to get out. Yeah. And again, if you calmly nurse a beer or two over a couple hours, you're not going to get drunk. You're not going to fuck yourself up. And there's always a potential chance, like it's happened with me on a number of occasions, I met a new best friend that I've had for years. So, yeah, I mean, there is there there is. There's a lot of social aspects to drinking and drinking is a big part of dominant American culture in a lot of cultures. Again, you're like, <clears throat> I need to just, I need to get, I need to get out of my head. I need to get out of the house. Going to go to the bar. I'm going to, you know, nurse a, a, a four, a 4% beer, you know, maybe meet some people. Absolutely. 4%. <laughs> I know this is Portland. Probably not. <laughs> I mean, just for for instance, yesterday I decided, you know, I, I, there's been so many of our favorite places that have been closing down. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite places of all time that I've been going to for over 10 years now is shutting down on Sunday. Oh, my God. Which place? Tapalaya. I don't know. I don't oh, know. Jesus Christ. No, don't tell me this. So sorry. You had to find out this way, Jacob. Tapalaya is shutting down. Um, pop. Hop House on 15th. Yeah. Shutting down. Mm. You know, some places Story that have Story of this damn city. Of this yeah. damn city. Yeah. So, you know, and I was very depressed a couple days ago about this news. And some, you know, I went to my friend and I said, you know what we should do tomorrow? Let's just go to every place we've always seen on the side of the road. Always told ourselves we'll go there someday and then just go to them. Mm-hmm. And it was this idea that was spawned kind of spur of the moment. And we decided to go on, and again, I'm going to emphasize too, I drove responsibly, had a beer about every hour and a half. We really soaked these places in before I got back on the bike. Mm-hmm. But 12 hours. Yeah. <laughs> Up and down Southeast Portland, going to places that we had always seen and went one of these days. 
We went to the Lots of Luck on Powell. Oh, that, that, I, I'm familiar with the Lots of Luck. Probably the most comfortable bar stools in the city. Don't ever get breakfast there. I disagree. We had waffle fries and sausage gravy, and it was fantastic. Anyways. Bring this, bringing this back to therapy. Back, back to therapy. It's just, again, we went to these places, talked to people we'd never talked to before that you would never normally interact with, 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 with what people think of as Portland. And it kind of trans, trans, uh, transported us to like a different place in this city. And it was just really nice to see like, oh, this isn't just the Portland we see in the downtown riots or like on Portlandia. That There's a whole other side of the city that was just really nice to actually get in touch with again. And it made me feel like maybe I do still belong in this city. And it was mm. very therapeutic and got me very grounded again. It was nice. Nice. So I'm going to weigh in on the other end of the spectrum because we've been talking a lot about moderation here. Um, I am the uh, byproduct of multiple generations of alcoholism breeding to breed the perfect alcoholic in some ways. And the fact that neither I nor any of my brothers are is kind of an amazing. Mm -hmm. However, the one thing that is 100 percent accurate with all of us is, you know, being able to go and intentionally decide there are no breaks at this point in time and oftentimes it's like we'll go out to the cabin with a bunch of friends or we'll go hiking to the back of the boundary waters or something like that so we're all we're following timothy leary's rules on you know atmosphere and environment but at that point the caps are coming off and you know you are drinking heavily and it's to engage in that decentering the self aspect of it at its utmost purity, um, you're taking the brakes off and engaging in the moderation of moderation. Well, on these, and again, you're not driving. These aren't people who already have like hepatitis or cirrhosis. These are not people with severe di type 1 diabetes. These are folks who can handle the occasional weekend of binge drinking and do so responsibly, like people who occasionally trip balls on acid, but do so in a safe location, right? Yep. There, it's You've got to know your body. You've got to know yourself. You've got to know if your brain has a stop switch. It's funny you mentioned that because that's where I was going to go next. Jacob, you bring up the controlled environment we're going to go to the spot it's going to be carefully prepared in a way that will be most conducive to us getting fucked up mm -hmm. and through that we're going to achieve something i've done that many times both with booze and with things that poppy has mentioned and others <laughs> but it's always for us been a responsible event even when i was a teenager mm -hmm. when we got together to do our drug of choice that weekend i being the older one in my group was always like the mom. And oh, we yeah. always like Every arranged the mom. We always arranged a space. We always made sure that there were pillows, mm -hmm. there were barf bags, mm -hmm. there were bottles of water, there were things conveniently stashed around so that, you know, if you did hit bottom, which mm -hmm. you probably will, mm -hmm. we're there for you. As someone who is the longtime pot mom for various circles of friends, because I can't smoke weed without it being very boring, it was like, okay, everybody's getting together and and smoking some pot and a lot of pot. And uh, okay, so I'll be cooking snacks all night. <laughs> no, and I think there's definitely a time and a place to just to go on that weekend bender where you just kind of want to forget everything. And again, I, as we were all saying here, we cannot emphasize enough 
you know, don't don't have your car keys anywhere near or your scooter keys mm-hmm. or your motorcycle keys. Don't have a gun anywhere near you. Don't no heavy equipment. No or heavy spinning equipment. Blades. You know, and you know, if bonfires, you know, chainsaws and bonfires. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't juggle chainsaws. You know, but again, we're, we're not we're not discouraging this behavior. We're just saying do it smartly. We all know we, we we've been in these dark places before, places where we're just like, I haven't seen this friend ever, and we're just going to go get fucked, and then just mm-hmm. hash everything out for a while. And I, then there's nothing wrong with that. But there is something wrong with that. If you don't take responsible steps to make sure that you and your friend or friends are going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And for the love of Bowie, please don't be- get behind the wheel of a car or on a motorcycle. Please just call an Uber, call a cab, ask for a ride home. Um, I, for one, have lost someone very near and dear to me to a drunk driver. So we take this very seriously here. And again, sometimes, too, you don't just want to do this at home. You do want to go out and bar hop for a bunch of times. And as Poppy is saying, when you do that, you make sure you have that safe ride home. You know, either you have a friend who's a designated driver that knows where you're going to be and you know to call them and they're going to go pick you up. Or you do that that, that Uber or Lyft or taxi cab thing or public transportation if it's still running in your city. But... Yeah, bar hopping is great sometimes, even better than just drinking at home because, again, the opportunity to meet more people, which can be a very fun thing, can be exciting. Or if you're going to go to a concert, then bar hop afterwards or whatever you want to do because you need to get out there and out of your head for a while. But make sure there's a safe way home. Speaking of which, we're here in Portland, Oregon, as we talk about a lot on this show. And there's a whole bunch of ways to get a ride home, even if you have to go quite a ways at the end of the night, it, many bars have pools. There's a couple nonprofits in town that um, you'll, you'll end up paying for it eventually. But you will you can get your you pike you can get yourself picked up. And there's a couple where someone will show up with a bicycle to drive you and your car home. Look them up. Get the information locked into your phone. And you know. I haven't my phone. I've never had call to use it. But boy, have I gotten rides for other people. And especially if you're out somewhere and if you are if you are fucked up and you're out of money and you don't know what to do, just ask the bartender like, dude, I am fucked up. I am not safe to drive. I just spent my last dollar on that on that last PBR. How the fuck do I get home? And they will help you. And if you're local, drop into our discord server. There might be someone there waiting for you. Oh, yeah. This is the last call for alcohol this evening. Drink up, drink up, drink up, and order again. This is the last call for alcohol. Get going. Drink up, drink up, drink up, then order again. Well, I feel like all of my problems have been resolved. How about you guys? Man, I got here. Like, I got good friends. I got talking about therapy. It's great. Floating on like a cloud. And there's like nine of them. I'm not even sure you would call that, but like it's probably something real. Like whoa, man. I think it's cloud. There are nine of them. Whoa, yeah. that's a good name. We should cloud copyright that shit. The cloud represents your mother. 
sure. Whoa, like, why would, like, water molecules have been given birth to me, man? Because water are, is life, They're man. like the foundation of Whoa. life. And they're very supportive, you know. I don't know what's just happened. Why the there. would there be nine? <laughs> why is nine significant to you, Xander? Why do you always say no to me? So, folks, what do you think of this Oktoberfest? I know we had our Oktoberfest special episode last year around this time, but that was too oh many God. Octobers. We did not have this beer. <clears throat> oh, I wish this one had been in the this lineup is last year. Yeah. yeah, this is fantastic. Yeah, I've never actually been a huge fan of Sierra Nevada beers. Um, I mean, you know, they are from California, but eh, they're okay. This is actually pretty good. I, really, I oh, sorry. Things from California are questionable. <laughs> I really like that it has it has a lot of flavor and a little more body to it without being without being too heavy like a stout or something. And it's not it's that nice sort of middle of the road. It's not a like a lager pilsner, it's not a stout, it's a lovely sort of in between and it's not too bitter. I'm going to go and stand up in favor of Sierra Nevada here and say that while I don't like them 100% of the time, I give them a good like 50 to 75% rating of like good to great beers. Wasn't uh, the Sierra Nevada the hotel in Fallout, New Vegas, where you got the bomb collar put on? You had to fight the ghosts? Oh, God. And I the, think it was. And the weird Ooh. prospector who had the gold and some shit. I don't know. Yeah, I didn't much care for that. That was oh, one of the worst Unlike DLCs the beer of ever. Sierra Nevada, which I do care for it. <laughs> this is pretty tasty. Uh, yeah, no, as Poppy is saying, this is this really kind of nice blend of like a light hoppiness, some nice maltness. It's not quite as malty as an amber. It's not even close to being anything like a pale ale or anything like that, too. But just kind of a nice, I can drink this continuously and I won't be upset about it kind of beer. Also blending in with the uh, Bitwarga, which I've never really enjoyed. But again, somehow the collaboration works here. <coughs> I give it um, 8 out of 10 hops. 8 out of 10 hops. It's not very hoppy, so I would say it probably only has like 2 or 3 of those. Yeah, but I didn't want to give it stars. That's weird. Okay. Well, anyway, you've been listening to Biker's Dice and Bars. This has been our special therapy episode. You know, I'm pretty sure we actually talked about this in a previous episode like maybe game therapy or yep. something this yes, all seems very familiar but eh, whatever we had fun with it yeah. we want to invite you to listen to our brand new series of actual play gaming which you yourselves have asked us to do and we just uh earlier this week this week was it this week, this week. God, time time as i'm not even drunk Time is passing by in a weird-ass way for me, but uh, this week we released the Tales from the Loop first episode. We also have two separate character creation sessions on our Patreon, which you can listen to. Just throw us a buck, and it's mm -hmm. there for download. And I'd like to do a shout-out to several of our new patrons who Ooh. have joined out. We don't have their names yet, but I, I haven't to peek at it, and there's a couple Ooh. other people on the stack, and... <laughs> really yeah. thanks for backing us yeah. uh, we Thank you. really appreciate it um every little bit helps us pay the bills here and keep this podcast going and also you know buy us some booze and stuff like that yeah thanks again for listening i'm npc i'm just jacob dr xander gerrymander poppy beaujolais and once again we wish to remind you shiny side up always tip your bartender always roll crits always drink responsibly 
And please remember that all of the alcohol, all of the mic, all of the motorbikes and all of the games in the world are no substitute for mental health counseling and medical attention when you need it. If you are struggling with any kind of mental health issues, please go get some go get some assistance with that. It is 100% okay to ask for help. If you are not sure how to get help in your area, please email me poppy at breakfastpuppies.com and I will help you find help in your area. And again, thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us, friend. We've reached the end of Bikers, Dice, and Bars. Talking bicycles and motorbikes, gamer things and all the like. You can listen to it in your car. But Bikes, Dice, and Bars. Bikes, Dice, and Bars. Bikes, Yep.